Welcome to the Social Pros Podcast, the content marketing awards winner for best marketing podcast. This is where we shine the spotlight on real people doing real work in social media and learn the social secrets of the world's most interesting brands. Social Pros is sponsored by Convince and Convert, social media strategy advisors and counselors to leading brands and organizations worldwide. Convince and Convert makes your social better. Emma, which provides innovative email marketing tools that drive brilliant results. Salesforce Marketing Cloud, inspiring one-to-one connections with your customers with integrated solutions for social, mobile, email, web, and advertising. And Yext, whose award-winning location management platform helps companies of all sizes drive more foot traffic to their doors. With Yext, update your location data once and publish it to your website, apps, over 100 publishers, including Google, Apple Maps, Facebook, Bing, and Yahoo. That's the power of location. That's Yext. Your Social Pros co-hosts are Adam Brown from Salesforce Marketing Cloud and Jay Bear from Convince and Convert. Ready? Let's get to work. Welcome, everybody, to Social Pros, the podcast for real people doing real work in social media. I am, as always, Jay Bear from Convince and Convert, joined, as usual, by my special Texas friend, Adam Brown, who is the executive strategist for Salesforce Marketing Cloud, Mr. Brown. Jay, how are you? It sounds like you're on the road. I can just kind of sense that from your uh, from your presence, from your enthusiasm, from you not being in your very multi-million dollar recording studio uh, in, uh, in there in Convince and Convert headquarters. Yeah. Yeah. I usually record in Jay-Z's studio, oh, but yes. this time I'm in a hill by the Mall of America in Minneapolis. Uh, so it's not quite the same audio setup, but I am indeed on the road. This is my last uh, crazy week of 2016. Uh, lots more travel to come, but this is the last one where it's back to back to back to back. So looking forward to spending a little more time at home, but in particular, looking forward to today's episode of the Mighty Social Pros podcast coming up on year six of the show, if you can even believe that. Wow. Our guest today is a special man on a special show. It is Mr. Michael Stelzner, who is the founder, proprietor, grand poobah of Social Media Examiner and the Social Media Marketing World Conference, a dear friend, uh, somebody who has been so supportive of me and so many other people in the social media community over the last several years. Mike, thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Jay. And I, congrats on six years, dude. That makes you ancient in the world of podcasts. <laughs> we were doing it before it's cool, and we'll keep doing it when it's no longer cool, which I figure is probably going to be in six months. <laughs> uh, but you have a, an enormously successful podcast. Uh, even more successful by some measures than this podcast. Uh, and you've been doing it now for, it's got to be close to five years, right? Uh, we just celebrated four years um, recently. So yeah, we're on, I, I forgot what episode it is, like 230 something or another. Same way, I can never remember the episode number. I actually talked to, talked to the elves at uh, Convince and Convert and said, hey, please put the show episode number in the meeting invite so I can remember what it is. Uh, which is, I think, a sign that you've been doing this a long time. Tell folks about uh, about your show and and how it has impacted uh, sort of your reputation and and your business. Well, it's funny because Social Media Examiner hasn't always been tied to my personal brand, but when I started the uh, Social Media Examiner just turned seven recently, uh, and when I started the podcast a little over four years ago, it was kind of the first time I really uh, tied my identity, if you will, to the brand in a pretty significant way. And the response was awesome. I, I do an interview based show similar to you and people really loved it. It's, it's had a huge impact on 
my ability to, I guess, build relationships with a lot of talent in the industry, even test run people that I think have amazing stories to see whether or not my community thinks the same way I do, and then possibly consider having them speak at some of our events. But uh, it's really taken a life of its own. And we've got, you know, I don't know, two to 300,000 downloads a month. So the thing is, it's kind of crazy, Jay, to think about the fact that I have this many people listening to me 45 minutes a week. And, um, you know, when you compare that to any other metric, like even average time on the blog, it kind of, kind of makes it look like, like inconsequential almost. So I love it. I'll keep doing it. Um, and, uh, I've not missed a week. Well, it's funny you say that. I wanted to ask you about that exact topic and we didn't plan this. It's just a great segue. You started your blog not too far uh, before or maybe just a little bit after when I started convincingconvert.com. And and so we've been sort of aligned in our content creation uh, emphases for a long, long time. And so you started as a as a blogger uh, and now are a podcaster, obviously an event manager and things like that. And we've done the same. Now, according to some of the own research that, that your own company has put out, we're starting to see this shift towards video, live video, micro video. We talk about that all the time on the show. How does that make you feel? Right? We, we, we started off doing long form written content, then audio content, now short form video content. Do you feel like this constant pressure to continue to have to evolve and shift how you deliver social media recommendations and solutions to your large audience? Well, in our case, we've always been about the long form content. So uh, our blog is, you know, at least a thousand words. Our podcast is 45 minutes and our live show is an hour long every week. And um, so I believe that all these mediums allow a long form discussion, interaction and content creation. And, um, while we are heading into a world that's got a lot of short form content with Instagram stories and Snapchat, you know, being like 10 seconds each, I still believe that there is a big desire for people to listen to long form content or interact with long form content. So if anything, the live video has actually worked really well for us. Yeah. Let's talk about that because you have one of the longest running live Facebook live video shows that are on a consistent cadence. Uh, a weekly show, as you mentioned, uh, approximately an hour a week, talking about issues of the day, of the week, in social and content and digital, etc. Talk about the lessons you've you've learned doing a live show every week, some of the challenges of that format. Do you think any person or any brand could do that kind of long-form live show, or do you need a particular type of content or, or a particular aptitude to be successful with it? Well, um, just a little backstory. We do a weekly show called the Morning Social Media Marketing Talk Show every Friday morning at uh, 8 Pacific, 11 Eastern. And the format of the show is we talk about the news in social that happened in the last week. So the good news is, in our case, there's plenty to talk about because there's so much happening in the last year. And we've been doing it for more than a year. We started out on Blab. We now... um, broadcast on some technology called huzza.io and we simulcast to Facebook and Periscope. So the Periscope is a recent addition starting literally this week. So we simulcast that live show from this technology. And the way the show works is we have correspondents that come on every week that cover the various things. Like we have our Instagram experts and our YouTube experts. And 
we'll have segments of the show. So we usually have two to three segments that are about 10 to 15 minutes long. And we'll talk about the news related to whatever's happening this week. And then the rest of the show is us doing what we call mentions, which are short little, um, here's a bunch of other items that are not as important, but that you need to know about. And, uh, we, like you said, we've been doing it for over a year and, uh, for us, it's, it's been a really interesting experience. The, um, it's kind of like the best way to describe this is it's like community development on steroids. The, the amount of people that read our blog every month is well over a million. And uh, I've already mentioned the podcast audience, but the live show audience is much smaller. But the difference for us is it's a repet- it's a weekly cadre of people that come back every single week, interact with us, and are really our loyal, most loyal fans. I used to say our most loyal fanatical fans were our podcast listeners, but the live audience takes it to an entirely new level. We usually have 150 to 160 people watching live on Huzza, interacting and commenting, and it's they come back every week. They actually put it on their calendar and show up every week. Then we have about four to 5,000 people on Facebook, and we don't know how many we're going to get. Well, actually, last week on Periscope, we did it for the first time. We got a couple hundred. So the idea here is that we're really not trying to reach a big, big audience. Instead, we're trying to reach the right audience. That is the ideal customer that we're trying to reach, which is the, the people that want to keep up on the absolute latest cutting edge with social media. And uh, it's allowed us to test run talent, too, because we bring on these up and coming um people in the various social networks that don't mind being our correspondent. It allows them to, you know, we literally recruit them the day before we go live because we on Thursday morning, figure out what the Friday show is going to be because it's a live show on the news of the week. So um, it just, it's allowed us to do so much for the business. It's driven our editorial policies. So what we talk about in the live show, we've got like 10 people from the company that are watching the show and making decisions on the spot as to whether we should do trainings on this inside of our society, whether we should uh, get our writers to start writing on this stuff. So it's kind of become like a weekly um, source of direction as we're in this ever-changing world of social. And for us, we love it. Why do you do the show live? I know you do the show weekly because you want to get topical timely. Here's what's happening this week. But you could record it the night before the morning. You could clean it up. You could edit it. You could polish it a little bit and then just put it up as a Facebook video. But you do it as a Facebook live video. And I think I know why that is. But I'd love for you to talk about that because we've had conversations with people from large brands on this show where people are pondering the Facebook live versus Facebook video conundrum. And I'd love to understand why you've decided to do it absolutely live. Well, first of all, it makes us better. It makes me a better, I've become a better speaker, a better podcaster and a better presenter as a result of just rolling with the punches and going live. Um, There is something really awesome about having a live crowd in the same way, Jay, when you go and you speak around the country and you have a live crowd, you could just as easily record your videos, but you do it live. I think that, um, I think I know that people enjoy the fact that they could ask a question of us and our experts, and we can bring those questions right up on the spot and answer those questions. I think it's, I think it's the true manifestation of social Jay. And I think it's just really kind of like community building on steroids. That's why we do it. It doesn't at at first glance seem intuitive to do it because the audience is so small. 
but that's why we do it. I'm curious why you thought we did it. Well, one of the things that we've pondered at Convince and Convert is the algorithmic advantage of live, that, that today, as we record this, it appears as though Facebook is providing some additional exposure to live video versus recorded video. Mm-hmm. And then live video also gives you the ability to follow that broadcaster And you do get an alert when that person goes live the same way that you get an email when somebody publishes a new YouTube video. You don't necessarily get that same ping effect when you just upload a video natively to Facebook. So there is some alert mechanism, some push notification, if you will, advantages uh, of live as well. At least today, I think that's true. Whether that will always be true, uh, probably, uh, probably not. Uh, And and as Adam points out uh, in the behind the scenes chat here, there's also, I think, the the, the tightrope element of, of live, too, right? That it's live, so people know that, well, maybe they'll screw this up. Maybe something funny will happen. And the same reason that Saturday Night Live is live, even though you could debatably say it'd be a better show if it wasn't, uh, that if they actually crafted some of the skits a little bit more, it would be a better skit. But there's that, well, it's live, and so you never really know what's going to happen. And so maybe there's some of that uh, psychology going on, too. Well, yeah, and you know what? I, I'm glad you said what you said, because there is a subscription element to this. In the same way that you subscribe to a blog on an email or you subscribe to a podcast to get automatically downloaded, uh, in, in the case of the technology we're using as a paying customer, um, every time our goal with, with Periscope and with Facebook simulcast is to drive them over to Huzza because they have the best interaction, the best community involvement. And when they register to get into Huzza, they provide us their email address. And what we do, Huzza allows us every week to push all the prior subscribers to the next show. So every week, a half an hour before we go live, an email goes out to all those subscribers reminding them that our live show is coming up in a half an hour. And one week we messed it up and we had the time wrong and the email didn't go out. And we saw a lot less people showing up for our live show than they normally do. So that subscription model is done really, really well with this third party service that we use. Facebook also, of course, as you mentioned, you can subscribe to the live feeds. Facebook does give huge exposure, but I'll tell you the dirty little secret about Facebook Live, which a lot of people don't know, is that most people don't spend a lot of time watching you on Facebook Live. So with Facebook Live, you're interrupting their stream. We do a morning show, so it's morning out here on the on the West Coast. We're in California. So a lot of these people are not going to watch a hour-long show on their mobile device But what they do see is they see us every single week coming across their feed. And some of them do come in from these other channels and get into Huzza, which allows us to capture them as a subscriber and then get the process of them becoming, having it become a rhythm of their weekly routine. And then are you taking elements of that show, uh, clips, highlights, et cetera, and and putting them in, in other channels, in Instagram, on Twitter, uh, you know, in other places where, where you are in existence? What we do is we embed the live show on our Saturday post, which is every Saturday we come up with like a review of all the week's news. So we embed the show right there with there so people can go to our Saturday post and watch our analysis of the news alongside of reading the news. Um, We were thinking about stripping the audio out and making a podcast out of it, but it's really hard because we do a lot of screen sharing in our uh, live show. And without being able to see what we're talking about, it makes it super hard to actually work. But we only embed it on our site and that's it. 
Um, we don't actually multi-purpose it just because it's news, you know, and a lot of it is changing. Yeah, you could do a video podcast, but that sort of defeats the purpose, right? That's that's kind of a different thing. I could. I haven't thought about that. It's a good idea. Yeah. There you go. Uh, one thing I wanted to just shift gears for a second since we're talking about live video, and then I'll have Adam jump in here, is at the most recent Social Media Marketing World Conference, which just as an aside, uh, listeners, Social Pros, I cannot recommend uh, highly enough. It is without question one of my favorite events in the whole world every year. I will speak there every single year that I have a conference. I will guarantee you that as long as Mike will continue to have me. Um, and I know we're always looking for interesting big brands, many of whom listen to the show, to speak at the conference and tell their story. So if you're interested in coming to the show, uh, it's in San Diego. Mike and his team run a first-class event. Just drop me a line. You guys know my email. It's jay at jaybear.com. Send me a note. Uh, I'd be lo- happy to talk to you about it, connecting with Mike and his team. Uh, it's it's really worth your time, uh, and, and I hope you'll take me up on that opportunity. One of the things that was fascinating at this year's conference, Mike, was this is a, a preeminent social media conference. Uh, the trend in social media, obviously, is is toward live. Facebook Live, as we just mentioned. Uh, at the time, Periscope, uh, even Meerkat, Instagram Stories, Snapchat, all that jazz. But you said hey, we don't want you to use live video in the actual sessions. We would rather have you use live sort of in the hallways and behind the scenes kind of stuff. I'd love for you to talk about that because just because live is the trend doesn't mean that you should just set up your phone and capture everything at a conference. And certainly I thought the way you handled that was very interesting uh, and very powerful and very important. Well, um, if I can give you some interesting context, I think we were a little ahead of the curve on this because Facebook last week came out with uh, live video training for journalists. And they specifically said for journalists that when you are at an event, they said, do not capture the stage, do not capture the actors, um, do not capture the field and do not capture logos. They said instead, capture yourself commenting on the event. And I posted this in a group that I belong to, which is a live video group. And people like Mari Smith posted and said, I was just at an event and I live videoed some of the event. And when I was done, Facebook said, um, we noticed that there was a song from Pink playing in the background. Confirm that you have legal rights to republish that song. She did not. That live video was removed automatically by the Facebook algorithms. So Facebook is using artificial intelligence to basically um, do rights control, copyright control, specifically with music, but they're also being extra careful in training journalists, and this same standard is held to all that use live video. When you are basically um, circumventing an event's ability to make money by broadcasting an, uh, you know, a, a speaker or a musician or a performer without express written permission, you are violating copyright law. And Facebook is going out of their way, and I'm sure Twitter will follow suit because they've done some artificial intelligence acquisitions to try to enforce the copyright standards because a lot of these people are big brands that advertise on these networks. And these big brands have been pushing back saying that we have a right, you know, these movie studios have a right to, to not have that movie uh, broadcast live or the concerts. And um, I did not feel comfortable just because we're a social media conference that everybody should be able to go there and broadcast the entire um, experiences without permission because it really, we don't have the legal rights from the speakers. 
And, um, and it is a copyright issue. So instead we provided an alternative. We said, here's the right way to do it. Get the behind the scenes videos, go in the hallway and interview the people after they're done speaking, uh, talk to fellow attendees and ask them what has been your experience. And I think that is, uh, I think what we're beginning to see is a, uh, a standard of enforcing copyrights and the rights of actors and presenters and event organizers without compromising um, complete elimination of live video. Mike, I couldn't agree more. Um, and the, the way I kind of approach it and the way I've, I've, I've talked to a lot of our customers around it and, and so appreciate Facebook coming out with those kind of live Facebook for journalists rules is, listen, if you're going to be a journalist, if you're going to be a correspondent, be a correspondent. I mean, what you've just articulated, Mike, is the difference in being a correspondent where you're talking about the event, you're talking about the scene, the issue, the topic, and just being simply a person holding a camera. I mean, yeah, there's just, a big difference in the two. And if you're going to add value, which is what we all as social media professionals, marketing or communications professionals want to do, you've got to add some, some insight. You've got to add some sizzle. And that actually kind of speaks to what I want to continue this conversation uh, about because I do agree live video is, is, is such, a, such a cornerstone of, I think, where, where social is going. And I think as, as CEO and founder of Social Media Examiner, you sit in such an interesting place because you're at this intersection of, of long-form journalism and writing, uh, the social activities that you do, the live events that you do, and then, of course, all the social live social stuff that, that we're talking about now. And what I want to double-click on a little bit is around production value. Because if you go to your, your actual live events, like Jay just ar articulated, you put on an amazing show. It is beautiful. It is polished. It is highly presented. You've got sets. You've got graphics. You've got lighting. You've got music, huge screens, and all of these other types of things. The analog, of course, in social would be very highly produced content. And one of the things I know a lot of our listeners and, 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 and Jay and I can, can, can kind of speak to is we've seen an evolution between people kind of resisting highly produced content in social. At first, it was popular because it was so different than the kind of just junk that was out there. And then we began to see consumers kind of get resistant to highly produced content. They wanted it to feel authentic and genuine. So my question for you is, as you look towards live social, is what is that level of, uh, of, 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 of appropriate production? I was talking to, to one of our customers at Salesforce, and they were wondering as they begin to evolve and do things into Facebook Live, do we, actual, do we actually buy and build a little new set? Or do we do this over in our cube? Which, which is the appropriate look? So I'd love to hear your thoughts. It's a wonderful question. And it's a question that we need to really wrestle with because... Facebook did something really interesting a while back as they opened up their API and for their Facebook Live and, and in, in doing so immediately allowed television studios and production houses to bring their entire production uh, set, if you will, to Facebook Live to produce original high quality shows that are at the same standard as television. The problem we get in here is, and, and I think I heard this articulated best by comparing Instagram to Snapchat. Um, Snapchat is all about raw, unedited moments because you can't edit your moments on Snapchat. Instagram is about beautiful, choreographed, um, edited 
photos that, that are, that are really, really nice looking. And, um, it's creating, Instagram has this look of, uh, of, of a higher, uh, caliber content creation. And this is why some of the younger folks are struggling to deal with Instagram live stories versus the, the, the stuff that's going on with, uh, I mean, the Instagram stories versus the Snapchat. So if we take this now over to live video, the struggle that we're facing here is that the average person who goes live on Facebook and Facebook is everywhere right now, letting everyday people know that they can go live. They've got buses painted with signs that tell people how to go live. They've got billboards in major tourist destinations. You're going to see commercials on television encouraging the everyday person to go live. But the problem that us marketers face is we are now competing against the Weather Channel and ESPN and these highly produced shows. And it might make it so that some people that go live might feel like if I cannot if I don't have a TriCaster and I don't have, you know, expensive software to be able to do lower thirds and all this kind of stuff, should I even consider doing it? And I'm here to tell you that I think Facebook is sending a signal that they want the raw, unedited live video on Facebook. And I think that people will actually begin to appreciate that more than they will the produced stuff. But if you go to Facebook.com right now and you click on the live map, which will be along the left-hand side, You'll see that most of the stuff on Facebook that's trending are like TV stations that are simulcasting to Facebook. So um, I do think that the raw, unedited, I'm holding my phone on a selfie stick is actually totally fine on Facebook. And I don't think you have to have a super produced show. As a matter of fact, I would say don't go super produced. Don't spend a lot of money on high production value. Um, you could use a tool like what we do you know, and just bring faces on the screen uh, because right now Facebook does not have a good multi-face solution, you know, where you can bring in people from remote locations. You could just use like Huzza to do it. I think that where you should be professional is in the actual delivery of the spoken word, you know? Um, but I don't think it has to be uh, beautiful visually. I think it just needs to to, to, to look okay, but it needs to sound great. So what that means is you should have a decent microphone. You should be aware of noise. If you're at a conference, you might want to pull someone into a corner where it's a little less noisy. Um, you know, if you're using some sort of like their API, probably want to consider doing screen shares and showing people not just having talking heads, but I don't think it needs to look excellent because I don't think it matters to the people that are watching it on their mobile phone. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And I also think by, by going highly produced, you you kind of over-engineer a little bit and may, you know, kind of un inadvertently avoid actually trying it out because you're thinking, oh, there's a, there's a lot of expense. So there's a lot of equipment I got to buy. There's a lot of software I need to license. No, just get out there and, and do it. And uh, at least for the moment, every brand is on an equal footing. Every brand, every story is, uh, is at the equal level. And as, as Jay pointed out, you know, the benefit of, of, of at least Facebook Live right now is the algorithm at least is going to get more people to see your live content than is going to edge rank, see your organic, you know, uh, un, unboosted posts, you know, on the property. Real quick, one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that Periscope just opened up their API. So if you have a huge following on Twitter, 
um, you can go ahead and um, apply to get access to the Periscope API. And then you can broadcast live on Periscope and have an instant baked in audience um, in the same way that you can on Facebook. So I would suggest experimenting with both. But at the very least, just download the Facebook pages app on your phone and go live and just do a live Q and a <laughs> literally just do a live Q and a with your phone on a tripod or your phone on a selfie stick as the first entry. Um, cause that's what we did in the beginning and it worked really well. Yeah. And I think if we, if we go to one of your, uh, shows or events, uh, Mike, I know there's usually about a half a dozen of your vendors that are giving away free selfie sticks. So, you know, there's not even a, a cost for, uh, for that, uh, for that, for that clip arm. on a stick. <laughs> I want to I want to kind of change gears here a little bit, but there's a perfect segue um, in what we're talking about right now. You, you've often talked about wanting to stop evergreen content. You don't like this concept of evergreen content, uh, which which in my mind means you know perishable content is 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 the king and queen of the uh, the ball. And of course, the great news is what we're talking about. Facebook video, by definition is highly, highly perishable content. It's, it's, it's old and it's dead one second after you, uh, you create it. I'd love to hear your philosophy on kind of trying to stop evergreen content and kind of what that is at least doing as you look at your large team there at Social Media Examiner and how that they began to create and, or, or, and boost and, and market uh, more perishable content or whatever word you may use instead of evergreen. Yeah. Just to be clear, um, we up until recently were absolutely all in on evergreen content and um, we would share it over and over again on Twitter and Pinterest and everywhere. However, the algorithms that are here and in particular, we're very familiar with algorithms on Facebook, right? We don't post the same post multiple times a day on Facebook for a reason, because we know that that's going to hurt us algorithmically. Well, guess what? I'm here to say that that is now in place on Twitter and it's changing every week. We're covering this on our live show. Just recently, Twitter begun, has begun asking people to rank the quality of tweets that they see inside of their their Twitter feed. So this is a way that Twitter is beginning to train up their artificial intelligence that they've acquired to begin implementing algorithmic changes that are happening on Twitter. So what we do, and I'm sure a lot of people listening do is do is we track everything using UTM parameters, using Google analytics. And we've begun to see a decline in evergreen traffic from Pinterest, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And we began to, to, to start asking the bigger question, what's the thing that we care about the most? In our case, it was email conversions, getting people on our email list. And we have 530,000 people on our email list. And we began to realize that when you combine the changes that are happening in the Twitter algorithms with the actual cost it was taking our team to prep our unique content for each of the social platforms, the evergreen content, we saw declines coming in. It got to the point where the reward was not worth worth the cost. And we just thought to ourselves, you know, if we're intellectually honest, the way the Twitter algorithm works is it lifts up the best tweets uh, to the top of the feed as someone enters into Twitter. If we did five tweets about the same post over a two or three day period of time, what we're doing is we're distributing the the loves and the shares and the comments across all five of those. So we just made the decision that we are not going to repeat a tweet ever on, on Twitter. And we just eliminated our entire 
evergreen strategy for Twitter, LinkedIn, and Pinterest. The only thing that we still do is Facebook because there still is, uh, in our case, uh, a strategy that we're employing on Facebook and it still does work for us. But I will tell you, we do not share very frequently evergreen content on Facebook. Um, but you know, so many of these sites that use apps like buffer and, and many others that are just, you know, putting these tweets into these repeating, uh, systems, they're going to be in trouble in a couple of years here, because I think that is going to be a problem. Are you suggesting Mike, that, that blog posts that appear on your site, you classify those as evergreen or, or not as evergreen? I just want to make sure everybody's clear on the distinction. Yes. I'm talking about our blog posts will only be tweeted once by us. And because your audience is quite international and, and quite large. How do you decide when within the 24 hour period after that post is published, uh, that, that that's going to be the magic time to press that button. If you're only going to press it once, I guess what I'm trying to say is the time is becoming less of an issue because of the algorithm, Jay. So it yeah. used to be that it, it used to be that you entered into the stream and you only saw what was there as it was flowing down the stream, but it's changing now. Now those tweets are seen regardless of when you enter the stream. So we don't, we don't, uh, we haven't changed when we publish them. We publish them at the same time as we always did. We just, we just don't republish them. This is a strategy that we're an early adopter on this. Okay. So, uh, you know, because of what we cover as social media examiner and because we pay attention to the data as much as we do, it just wasn't worth it for us to do it. I will tell you, it's a very counterintuitive position to take because this has been something marketers have done for like half a decade. But I'm here to tell you that I believe in the next 12 months, you're going to see that the new standard is not going to be to consistently retweet over and over again our content. We've seen the same decline in, in Twitter clicks. Uh, and so I'll test it and I will get back to you. Yeah. I mean, you know, and it may be, you know, in the end, you just have to decide whether the effort is worth the reward or whether it's actually hurting you because I believe that the Twitter algorithm is getting to be like the Facebook algorithm and th that will be seen regardless of when it was actually posted. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's the big takeaway, right? That, that you would, the things that we do on Twitter, the things that we've always done on Twitter, frankly, are things that you would never, ever do on Facebook. Exactly. And if there's one thing that if there's one thing that Twitter desperately wants is to be more like Facebook, I've written about that a million times. It's it's obviously not working, but but every time Twitter rolls out something new, it's either a mimic of Facebook, or if they do have something that that Facebook doesn't have, Facebook then matches it instantaneously and and sort of mutes that advantage. But uh, I think it's a really interesting point and and one that I want to make sure everybody understands and. And we'll definitely summarize it in the show notes at socialpros.com. Go ahead, Adam. Yeah, one more, one more question kind of around this, Mike, and kind of around the evergreen conundrum. And this is something that I was actually, again, speaking with, with one of our customers over the past couple of days about. And that is some customers and some social media pros want to actually take the same post and have that exact same post word for word appear in multiple platforms. And I've always said, you know, just because you can do something in technology, because most content management tools will, will allow you to do that, you know, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. You should craft the message for your different audiences. The way you speak about a certain situation or a product on LinkedIn should be very different than on Facebook and certainly very different than, than on a Snapchat. Do you agree with that? And as you kind of focus your social media creators there at Social Media Examiner, what kind of insights do you share with them on how they should use each platform differently? I do agree that whenever possible, depending on the size of your team, you should, you should 
take advantage of the unique benefits of the platform. For example, Facebook does not have a 140 character limit. So a lot of people just take the same tweet and they post it on Facebook. I strongly recommend that you add more. Why not ask a couple of questions? Uh, why not put the, the, you know, so many people just take the headline of their tweet and they stick it into Facebook without realizing that Facebook pulls in the headline through the open graph. So why not come up with something completely unique for Facebook instead, ask a few questions to spur activity and let the open graph data show the headline. Um, that's, that's one thing you should do immediately when it comes to the difference between uh, Twitter and Facebook, obviously Pinterest is completely different. You cannot, you cannot put on Pinterest the same kind of stuff you do on Facebook. LinkedIn, I think LinkedIn is very much like Facebook. I would argue you that that's an area where you could probably do the exact same language on LinkedIn as you would on Facebook because it's very similar as far as, you know, there's no limits as far as copy. No limits either in terms of people who love the Social Pros podcast including this week's sponsors of the program, Salesforce Marketing Cloud. We haven't talked very much about paid social in today's episode, but as we all know, it is increasingly important in a world where organic reach declines. Paid social is tricky. You've got to log in a bunch of places. You've got all different custom audience sets, different data streams. Salesforce Marketing Cloud tries to take away a lot of that hassle with their service called Advertising Studio. You can find more at bit.ly slash Advertising Studio. It's one place where you can log in to manage your Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn paid campaigns, combined custom audiences, combined reporting. It's a big time saver. See why lots of big brands and agencies are using Advertising Studio to organize their paid social better. Also, our friends at Emma, terrific email marketing company, have a brand new ebook that I'd love for you to take a look at. It's called 11 Email Designs That People Can't Resist. And they took 11 amazing email layouts from top brands and they applied it to brain science, secrets of the human mind, why people react, and then used those designs as examples of how to do better email. It's really fascinating. It's also just a great, this looks fantastic. And if you're like, hey, how can I make my ebooks stand out so that people really like them? You could do a lot worse than take a look at this one because it's beautiful. Go to bit.ly slash email brain. That's bit.ly slash email brain, all lowercase. Thanks as always to our friends at Emma. And this week, our good friends at Yext, uh, as we are recording this, are having their very first ever conference called Location World in New York City. So Daniel Lemon from my team at Convince and Convert is out there speaking with folks from Yelp and a bunch of other organizations. Really excited about them kicking off their new conference series. But as I told you a couple of weeks ago, the other thing that Yext has going on is this really cool integration with Uber. So if you are at a, you know, a website for a retailer or on their mobile app, you're like, you know what, I want to go to Guitar Center, for example, is the example they use in the, in the rollout. You can press a button inside the app on the website that says, I want to go there with Uber. Uber car picks you up. While you're on the ride, while you're on the way to Guitar Center, they can serve you up any content that they want. So in the beta example, Guitar Center shows you all the store inventory of the store that you're going to so that by the time you get to the front door of the store, you already know how many mandolins they have and you know whether they have the drums that you want, etc. It's really fantastic. It's a brand new, real-time, highly targeted, amazingly personalized content marketing opportunity that comes to you from the guys at Yext. No cost associated with it if you're a Yext customer, which is pretty slick. Go to yext.com slash Uber, Y-E-X-T dot com slash Uber. Adam? 
Thanks, Jay. And I have to say, I bought a new Rickenbacker electric guitar at Guitar Center this weekend. And I lament the fact that I did not take Uber to said Guitar Center and get to learn more yeah, about electric guitars you know, on my, on my journey. Take it back. Go back for strings or something. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love I, I love that story and, and, and Yext and, and all the folks there are just doing some incredible things. Uh, Mike Stelsner, CEO and founder of Social Media Examiner. It is so great to uh, to have you on the show. And wow, what what an accomplishment. You've got a, a company there with over 45 employees. You do events, you do conferences, you do consulting, and you do reports and white papers. And would you have ever thought 10, 15 years ago, when you were the white paper guru for, for digital and, and social, that you would be here today doing all the wonderful things that Social Media Examiner is doing? No, I definitely wouldn't have. As a matter of fact, I just recently celebrated 20 years as an entrepreneur. And, uh, when I was, when I was the guy that was the white paper dude, you know, and I wrote a book called writing white papers, I had a really good gig and I had people lining up to work with me forever. And frankly, it was a risk to go out and start something, uh, that might've failed <laughs> when I had something so good going for me. But, uh, I think that because I was a writer and because I was used to interviewing, engineers and stuff like that. I think it kind of gave me an interesting insight into um, how to translate things that are sometimes really complex into language that everyone can understand. So it was a good setup for ultimately what we accomplished as Social Media Examiner. But I thought Social Media Examiner was a three-year experiment. <laughs> I thought it was going to... Luckily, I said, you know, social media probably won't even be around for more than three years. <laughs> I'm glad I was wrong. Well, I think there are three of us here on this uh, on this recording right now that that, that, that agree with that. Coming kind yeah. of from that 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 creative art side, the journalistic side, the the writing side, one of the things that I'm always fascinated with, and would appreciate your insight because you have you know, tens, if not hundreds, of thousands of people who have been to one of your events. They listen to your podcast. They read your reports. Yeah, I think you really have your finger kind of on the zeitgeist of where social media is is going today. So my my question is this. Are you finding that the evolution of, of social media professionals like us are that we are advertisers who are communicating, or is it more about the communicators who are now learning to, to advertise, to kind of you know, get to that, that paid, earned, and owned mix that, that we realize is, is really that recipe for, for, for great, great success? It's interesting because seven years ago when I started Social Media Examiner, for the most part, everyone in the social world was from the PR world. And, um, now the vast majority of people that are in the social media marketing industry were people that were in different jobs and that pivoted over to social or they came fresh out of college for, um, you know, uh, specifically with the intent of specializing in, in social media. So, um, I think that a lot of social media marketers came out of the community development world. You know, it was all about community managers is what we called everybody in the early days. So I would venture to guess the vast majority of them do not understand the advertising side of things. And, um, that's a real struggle. A lot of them is try trying to bridge the gap from organic reach to, to paid reach. But at the same time, I also think that we have a real big struggle, uh, across the board, which is this overemphasis on metrics and not and forgetting about the fact that there needs to be a community and engagement side of social. As a matter of fact, I'll say right now that I think this is the biggest threat to social media marketing right now is that it's becoming too much like traditional advertising, which all it cares about is the conversion and the metric. 
And I'm here to say right now that if social media marketers do not wake up and understand the importance of cultivating, cultivating loyal communities, smaller communities of engaged people, which takes time and cannot be automated, if they do not understand that, they will end up failing in the long run because we have a new generation coming up of people that love the interaction. And this is something that is absent with so many social media marketers. Well, and I think to put a, a finer point on that, Mike, and I've been saying this forever, and, and I think people are starting to finally wake up to it. What you're saying, and I couldn't agree more, is that social media is the way that you deepen bonds with people who you already have a relationship with. The role of social media is to take people who like you and make them love you. The role of social media is not typically to create customers out of thin air. Can you do it? Yeah, it can be done, but it's not the best and highest use of the platform. Social media is much more similar to email in terms of its ability to interact and deepen relationships with people who already know you. This idea that social media creates customers uh, from whole cloth, I think, is misplaced. And I couldn't agree more that if we don't wake up and start to realize that, that social is more about retention uh, and conversion and advocacy than it is about customer creation, I think we're all in for a bumpy ride. I agree. And I think, unfortunately, we might already be there. And I think this is the problem, uh, probably even more so with the bigger brands, you know, um, because they begin to see the, the sales and the, and the benefits coming from social and, uh, and they begin to defund some of the more community and advocacy kind of activities. And I think that it's, this is an opportunity for the smaller businesses to really develop an incredibly loyal following and, and grow quite rapidly. And it, we could see quite a bit of disruption happening here in the near future. So, Mike, do you think it's that we have some some social media professionals out there that are looking at the wrong metrics? And, and the reason I ask this, let's pretend for a moment that we're giving advice to a uh, to a to a to a, to a to a junior social media marketer who's about to go in front of their their CMO or chief communications officer to get budget for for 2017, and they realize they've got to make a case. For, for social media, that their team gets this $10,000, $100,000, one million dollars that would have gone to direct marketing, would have gone to traditional media, would have gone to, uh, to SEO, SEM. What do we tell this person to give them advice on how they should articulate the story that you're sharing to make sure that they indeed get that money so they can have the, uh, the level of success that they know will, will drive the results that we're talking about, which is brand lift, customer loyalty, and the like. I think you ask the question, you have that person ask the question of their boss, is it important for this company to have our customers become evangelists for us? If they say yes, then you say, okay, then will you empower me to do whatever is necessary to make sure that we can make as many customers into evangelists as possible? Because the value proposition here is a lot harder to measure. The idea that if you could have hundreds or thousands of your customers raving about you and talking about you, and um, what could be the ripple effect of that? This is exactly what happens at social media marketing world. We have some of the most fanatical fans in the world because we make it easy for them. We make a great experience for them and we make it easy for them to talk about it. And as a result, the event sells itself. So I, I don't think um, you, you should stop using the money on the, on the advertising side to, you know, accomplish business goals. But I also think you must also think about how can I turn these people into evangelisms? Because I think we've forgotten about that into evangelists. I mean, well, it's certain Mike, thanks so much. 
I was just going to say, well, you know, Mike, it's, it's very much like the whole world of public relations has, has had that same kind of metric conundrum for, for going on uh, five decades. So, 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 so nothing new kind of in, in that campground. I don't feel bad. I don't feel bad. No kidding. Mike, thanks so much for being on the show. Fantastic to talk to you. Congratulations on all the success. I want to wrap up with the two questions that we ask all of our guests here on the Social Pros podcast. First, what one tip would you give somebody who's looking to become a social pro? Uh, I would definitely always look for new ideas and a good way to do that is to listen to podcasts. So I would start, I personally listen to like 20 different podcasts a week while I'm commuting and I just get my ideas when I'm in the car. So the idea that you want to always be looking for new ideas, I think is important. And whether you get that through reading or podcasting or whatever, I think that's critical because things change rapidly in this space and innovation is essential. Yeah, that's great advice. Give somebody a recommendation for a podcast they may not know. You know, I love how I built this. Have you guys heard this one from NPR? Yes. Yeah, It's awesome. It's, it's not a marketing podcast, but it's more like how, for example, uh, Samuel Adams, you know, the brewing company was founded or Spanx. And it's just these incredible stories of these crazy things people did to be successful in the early stages which should inspire anyone who is looking for kind of out of the box ideas to promote and market yeah, entrepreneurs and non-entrepreneurs yeah, alike. Exactly. Yeah. We'll make sure to link that up in the show notes. People can easily find it uh, or search on iTunes. Uh, how I built this. It's a really good show. Last question for you, Mr. Stelzner, if you could do a Skype call with any living person, who would it be? Oh my gosh. I guess it would probably have to be Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, I would love to ask him questions about where he sees the future going with, with social. We've had a couple of Zuckerbergs lately. We've had some uh, Elon Musk as well. That's a popular answer on the show. Uh, and we've also had some people who say, I'd like to talk to Zuckerberg and uh, ask him why he keeps changing the algorithm, which makes everybody <laughs> I know why. Like, They're running out of real estate. Leave, leave well enough alone, right? Just quit messing with it. Exactly. No kidding. Thanks so much. I can't wait to see you uh, next spring at Social Media Marketing World, hopefully before then, but certainly then. As I mentioned, listeners, if you're interested in the conference, uh, drop me a line, jjbear.com. Be happy to talk to you about it. I've got no dog in the hunt. I've got, I'm not a paid endorser. I just really love the conference and love Mike and his team. So happy to uh, talk to you about that. As always, if you want to talk, chat about the show, Adam and I love interacting with you via email. Just send me a note, jjbear.com. Tell me who you are why you listen, where you're from. Love talking to our audience. Thanks so much for sending your emails all the time. We love it. On behalf of Mr. Adam Brown, I am Jay Bear from Convince to Convert, and this has been Social Pros. Thanks for tuning in to Social Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app. Go to socialpros.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Social Pros is sponsored by Convince and Convert, Emma, Salesforce Marketing Cloud, and by Yext, and is produced by Convince and Convert Media. Find more great shows like Social Pros at marketingpodcasts.com, the first search engine for marketing podcasts. Podcast imaging by audiopad.com.